back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. This week, we have another change of pace for you. Staying away from our head-to-heads and greatest hits episodes, we're diving into what we consider to be perfect or near-perfect albums with what we're calling front-to-back. As much as we love some albums, not all of them are great front-to-back. We've talked in depth about a lot of albums, and sometimes there's a track or two you just gotta skip. These collective 10 albums we love from beginning to end, and we're gonna discuss what makes them the complete package. So last week we gave you Old Testament versus New Testament and our Big Four Testament albums. To hear what we had to say, download the episode from your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget to subscribe so you get our latest episode every time it comes out. So Chris, perfection? Or what? What 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 are we what are we discussing here and these with these albums? Well, to me, I gotta really think about what I define as like a perfect album. But there are certain albums that I can listen to beginning to end and have no will to skip a track. Like everything fits together, it's cohesive, it makes sense. And there are some albums that you, you love them, you, you think, this is one of my favorite albums, but there might be a couple tracks on it, you're just like, this is garbage, and I have no problem skipping it. Um, these are the complete opposite, where I just feel like everything fits the bill, everything works together. They may be a concept album, they may not be a concept album, but they have that cohesiveness that makes them feel like one piece. I agree. The... The, the the idea of, of an album being perfect is all about your opinion, my opinion, someone else's opinion. And, you know, uh, there's albums that we both agree on are as close to perfect as possible. But, you know, I have a different opinion about certain songs on that album. You have a different opinion on that. And someone else might think, oh, that's a total crap song. You know, and they may not think that that song either belongs in the album or something like that. So this is the reason why we're calling it front to back because... This we know, we, we put it on a CD, we put it on a vinyl, whatever it is, however you want to absorb your music or, or listen to it on, on some streaming service, you're going to listen to the whole thing front to back. Unless it's end. Neil Young on Spotify, then you're, 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 then you're not listening to anything because he's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but another thing about this, so everyone knows, this is not going to be the last time that we have this kind of discussion because there are so many albums out there that I think are, are worthy of a front-to-back type of listen. And this is right now, and I wouldn't even consider this my top five, but there's probably three albums on here, maybe four, that I would put in my top ten. Okay. I just, yeah, I I picked five. I didn't pick it my top five or anything like that. These are just five that came to mind. Right, And exactly. there were some, there were some, like, there's a couple from bands that, I there's multiple from the same band that I can listen to the whole thing. I didn't want to just pick five from the same band. I mean, you know, that would just be kind of silly. But like, I think the variety helps, and these are just five that immediately came to mind. So that's worth talking about. Exactly. So let's get on with it. I picked five. You picked five, and we're gonna go ahead and discuss. <laughs> All right. So uh, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first this time? Okay. So I'm going to put this in a, in a manner of uh, almost like a worst of first type of, of deal. Um, so my, the first album I'm going to talk about is Twisted Sisters' Stay Hungry, um, which is the album that, that got released in 1984. Um, for me, 
you know, at that time, you know, that I was 15 years old when this album comes out. Uh, I'm working at summer camp and that, you know, we're not going to take it. And I want to rock or just all over the radio and, and it's in all over MTV and it's just that that's the album that, you know, everyone's listening to. If you're into hard rock and heavy metal, I, I, I got the album and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I, I listened to the album front to back one through nine. Um, and I really, really, really enjoy this album. You know, I put on my notes here, eight of the nine songs are awesome to me. And in reality, I think all nine are pretty damn good. So um, what's the one that didn't the one the one quite song up? And it's weird because it's not really that bad of an album. It's got a really uh, excuse me. It's not really that bad of a of a, of a song. It's um, "Don't Let Me Down," which has a very good hook to it. Mm-hmm. I just it's just one of those songs that to me gets lost. Uh, it's in the middle because the the f- side two starts with I want to rock it goes to the price and then it goes to don't let me down then there is um the oh beast. what's this the beast and then SMF right so the beast kind of slows everything down but it, especially coming off of don't let me down but for whatever reason I like the beast and SMF better and so after the price I just kind of you know sometimes I skip don't let me down, but usually I'm just, I let it go. It's, it's one of those weird things that that's the one song that, you know, just doesn't completely do it for me on this album. But, it, but obviously it's not one you feel like you just have to skip or anything. No, it's not, it's not something that I have to skip. It's not something I, I, I go, nah, I don't want to hear that. I actually think it's got a really cool, cool hook on it. It's just, to me, it almost seems slightly generic. Gotcha. You know, but I, so, I, I it's, it's a great album. So, I'm not as big on Twisted Sister. It just they're they're one of those bands that uh kind of missed my radar, you know, like they I guess they were still around to some degree when I was a kid, but I don't know. I just they they were a band that I just kind of missed. So, I think I've maybe listened to this album two times in its entirety. I mean, obviously I've heard we're not going to take it. I want to rock. Uh, Stay Hungry, I've heard a bunch of times. Um, but this, like listening to this in preparation, because we told each other what our, our picks were going to be this time. Um, I don't remember ever hearing Horror Terrier before. I mean, I'm sure I did, but I, I don't know. It's pretty good. You know, as far as a Twisted Sister album goes, um, I, I did kind of enjoy listening to it. The production, you know, it's not bad. Um, you know, the, the, it's funny. Some of the songs that like the non hit songs, the stay hungry itself. I liked burn in hell. I thought that was pretty good. Um, the beast burn in hell is one of my favorite twisted sister songs. Yeah. That was a really cool one. I, that was definitely one of the best ones on the album. The beast was cool. Um, I, I can't a hundred percent say I really remember SMF. And I mean, SMF is one of those songs where you you can you can you hear it and you go yeah that's going to be an audience participation song yeah you know because they they say say SMF and the, the crowd is saying SMF and they probably you know they're saying say sick motherfucker and then there's sick motherfucker back and forth so it just yeah it's just one of those things like for some reason like that type of song sometimes does not you know connect with me so I just kind of zone out 
And, you know, I only had so much time to prepare for this. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's one of those things, but like, it was funny. Some of the songs that I thought, you know, would be the defining aspects to me. Cause you know, we're got we're not going to take it as obviously iconic. I want to rock same thing. The price. I, I like the price. That was a pretty cool song. Um, but burning hell surprised me being one of my favorites on the album stay hungry i always i always really like that song and those were to me more of the standouts because i think they were really technically better songs it's just we're not going to take it is like it's an anthem it it is accessible to to most people so i guess there's that aspect of it too but you know i i i gained more of an appreciation for it i guess you know, we're not going to take it as one of the most licensed songs of all time. Yeah, and, I, and I'm well and, aware. <laughs> yeah, JJ yeah, French has no problem telling anybody within his uh, circle that that's that's the case. So anyway, what is uh, your uh, your album? This, your first album that you're going to talk about? So I'm going to go in the same direction, like you said, kind of worst to first, I guess. Um, and I'm going to pick this, this, you know, a couple of years ago, this, I might've felt differently about this. And I got to say, it's still a great album that I do have a problem with it. And I'll go over that. Um, but war eternal from arch enemy, um, arch enemy is a band that I've had. I have a weird relationship with their history because their original singer, I was not a fan of, but I liked, there was one album of theirs. I liked, I got to think about what it's called. Um, as the, Burning Bridges, that's what it's called. Um, so Burning Bridges was not bad, but I think that was, I want to say, the last album they did with their original singer, uh, Johan. And once they added their, their second singer, um, which is her name was Angela Gosso, um, that was when the band really turned around for me. I but But the thing is, I've always had this thing where sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. Some of their albums are really uninspired. Others I've really enjoyed. So it's this this weird relationship where I guess, you know, some bands, you just, you don't like everything they do. Well, um, when I found out they replaced their singer, uh, which I, I thought Angela was really probably their best. I liked their last couple albums before she left. And then they replaced her with this this girl from the Agonist, uh, Alyssa White Gluse. And I I was not a fan of the Agonist. I was not expecting much, but when I listened to it, my friend told me you have to listen to the album. I listened to it and I thought, wow, this is this is amazing. I loved it from beginning to end. I I, I think I, for a month straight, I just kept listening to the album over and over again. Um, there's a couple moments where. You know, just like any other album, I think there are weak moments, like on and on. Um, let's see, uh, Avalanche is okay, um, but I like I like Down to Nothing, which is the last track, except for there's an instrumental after that. Not long for this world. Um, Stolen Life, I think, is a great song. Time is Black is one of my favorites. As the Pages Burn was really good. War Eternal and Never Forgive, Never Forget great songs you will know my name you know there, there's uh, it's one of those that i actually really enjoy pretty much everything and there's an aspect of it where this is the this lineup only lasted for one album so the stuff that preceded it and 
and followed it, I'm not as big of a fan of. And and so um, there's a there's a member of the band who wrote a lot of the music named Nick Cordell. This is the only album he appeared on. I th- I'm not sure why he left the band, but he left during the tour for the album. And that's an aspect of the music that's sorely missed without him. They brought on um, Jeff Loomis afterwards, and he doesn't contribute to the songwriting. He doesn't write the solos. You know, there's there's something that's that's very odd about the lineup. And then I have my problems with Alyssa the singer. Um, I've, I think I've mentioned this on a previous episode. There, you know, being an artist, and I know you're a photographer. Um, we have rights to our products that we create you know if you take a photo that's your photo even if it's of of somebody or a building or whatever those are your photos those are your rights um there was a photographer that took a photo of Alyssa, post uh, and she posted it online as her usage and he contacted her and said you need to take this down or you can purchase it from me um you know and there was a whole debacle where she claimed that she owns it because it's a photo of her. And that's just not how things work and really doubled down on it. It became very insulting. And it's one of those things like when you're, when you are in uh, this kind of situation, if you're a musician, you have no, like there's, you don't have to endear yourself to the audience, but it's best if you do, because they're the ones buying your products. They're the ones that, that are, you know, giving you the ability to do what you do. So there was a, a portion of the fan base that was really upset by it and and it changed their view of the band. So this w- being one of my favorite albums of that year, this was 2014. It, it, I have a, I have a hard time with it because it is still an amazing album and I do recommend listening to it. My personal opinions are mine. Um, but this is an album that I can truly listen to from beginning to end. And despite having some issues with, you know, members of the band or something like that, I still think it's amazing. The, the whole issue that you have with, with, uh, Alyssa, it's, it's funny because, um, I, I totally agree with you in terms of the art or, or the artist thing and, and, and compensation and stuff like that. I mean, if I took a picture of her, and she decided to use it somewhere. I would sit there and do the same thing that the other guy did. I said, "Listen, you know, you need my permission. You know, just just the permission in general." I mean, he didn't. I'm he didn't not... ask. Yeah, he just he basically just wanted to be credited for it. Exactly. And, I, and I, I'm correcting myself and saying he did not try to say pay me for it. He said credit me because it's my art. Yeah, I, if I if I remember correctly, he was credit me, and, and then he kind of said, "Well, look, you know, if you don't want to pay me, you can go ahead and just make a donation to some sort of charity or something that's like that." That's true. Yeah, you know, and and that's all. I mean, look, I just want credit. Like something happened with me recently I took a picture of something or, or I did something oh that's right I took a picture at the baseball tournament I was in in October right and I gave the guy say hey if you need pictures of the of the championship game here you go and he took my picture put it in and didn't give me credit and I was kind of mm. like man that's kind of messed up you know I gave him the picture so I wasn't expecting money or anything like that but I, I wanted the credit it was taken by so and so I mean hell it says Kenneth Dean photography on there but yeah. the funny thing is he, th- there was another picture posted of a different game uh, on a different newsletter that came out like the next day. 
and he gave credit to the photographer. I'm like, well, shit, he could have asked me and I would have given him my name, you know, but yeah, it's kind of like, you know, put the credit where credit is due. That's all that any of us really ask for in, in that. Um, and speaking of the album, um, I'm not super familiar with this album. I'm not super familiar with Arch Enemy in general. I have listened to them. And uh, before we, we started recording today, I, I did, you know, we talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, I did listen to some of the songs and some of the songs were pretty cool. And some of the songs were just like, eh, not for me. Um, that doesn't take away anything from the, from the people like yourself who enjoy this kind of melodic death metal. It, it is, it is, you know, on the ear of the beholder. You know, that type of thing. Uh, yes. Some stuff, like like War, the song War Eternal, I thought was really, really cool. You know, um, there was some other stuff on there that I that I picked up that I said, oh, yeah, this is not bad. Other stuff just seemed like it all just blended together because the, the pace at which the drummer was playing is just, it, it's all double bass all the time. And then, you know, it's, then there's blast beats that hit you for, for seconds, you know, upon seconds, upon seconds. And it's like, you know, when's it going to change? You know? So those kinds of things kind of almost turn me off. You know, that's why like, you know, you and I have discussed with, with other kind of melodic death metal bands, you know, I, I prefer, uh, an Amana Marth, even though it's, it's a lot more on the death metal type side of, of melodic death metal. The, the the riffing and and all that and it, it, there's a lot of change of pace to their yeah. songs. Um, well, t- to be honest, on this album, so and I know we all had limited time uh, on this particular subject, but so uh, the thing is, there is some good pace changing. Like you will know my name is a lot slower than No More Regrets that came before it. Um, Stolen Life and Time is Black also have like Time is Black is a really complicated song and has some some um, tempo changes in the song that are really good. Um, And then as it gets to the end, Down to Nothing and Not Long for This World, those are those are slower songs as well. So there is some pace changing, but I understand like, again, you didn't have a lot of time for this one. So um, I think it's definitely worth another listen. It's it's one that takes a couple times to really fully sink in. But like, for instance, if you're going to pick one song to to just try out, I definitely recommend Time is Black. No, I'll definitely check it out. Definitely. All right. Well, that brings me to my next album. So uh, for me, the next album is going to be White Snake Slided In, which is their 1984 release. This is basically the transition of white snake from a blues based band to a uh uh almost, if you want to put it this way a hair metal band an 80s band this Glam, is the album yeah. yeah this is the this is the album in between because even though like their their big album 1987 which is actually technically self-titled it's white snake but it's known as 1987 in, in parts around the world so we'll just either one is fine that album is not necessarily glam metal, but it got lumped in that way because they all teased their hair and they were all this. But the music itself is not really glammy in comparison to, let's say, like a, a Motley Crue or a Poison. Yeah. However, so this album, Slided In, though, uh, I caught it probably a couple years after it came out. Um, but before the Whitesnake album came out in 1987. And... For me, nine of the ten songs 
on this album are really, really, really good. I mean, they're awesome to me. Again, you know, we, we talked about, you know, it's not complete in terms of perfection, but, you know, it's as close to it for me as, as, as you could possibly, you know, get. When I say, you know, there's, it's nine out of 10 songs. When I look at the list of songs, the reason why, uh, is, um, I'm trying to think of which, which title it is. I, I believe it's uh, Spit It Out. That one, it, it's, it's got a weird intro. And I think it's, it, I think it's Spit It Out. I can't remember off the top of my head. That's that, a really repetitive one. Yes. It's this, the solo I think is, is probably the best part. I mean, right. John Sykes has some awesome solos. Oh, exactly. But, but yeah, so, it, I remember that one being kind of weak. But of all the other tracks in the album, you know, slide it in. I mean, slide it in is is crazy is crazy cool because it just you know, especially with the American version of it, because that's what most people here in the United States have heard. That track listing, you know, slide it in starts the album, and it's just this full of energy song. And then you got uh, slow and easy. Slow and easy is by far, hands down, my favorite White Snake song. And so. You know, and then you got another song that starts very similarly with with "Love Ain't No Stranger." I love that whole that whole first side is just awesome, you know. And then I can pick and choose if I wanted to rearrange stuff and maybe put "Spit It Out" towards the end. But I mean, I can listen to this album front to back any day of the week and and be satisfied, even with "Spit It Out" in there, you know. So that's 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 um, how I feel about this album. And I know you you have heard it and enjoy it yourself. Yeah, I mean, we we did an episode uh, head to head, slide it in versus the the uh, White Snake album, and um, you know, definitely gained more appreciation for it because you know I'd listened to White Snake in the past at that point, but not nearly as much. Um, but yeah, this was. I mean, there's some really good stuff. Like there's um, a lot of elements from other bands. It, you know. Like, I, I think I mentioned it a lot in the episode. There were some songs that had, like, some ZZ Top influence. There's some that had some ACDC, like, Love Ain't No Stranger, Give Me uh, give me More Time. They had some, like, ACDC vibes as well. Um, you know, Slide It In is a great track. Um, you know, I, I think as a whole, I can't remember which way I went with, with you know, choosing which I liked better but like this was the period to me that represents like what I like about Whitesnake and I do like some of the newer stuff like I thought for Forevermore was a pretty good album um you know stuff going forward and David Coverdale is an amazing singer you know his time in in uh Deep Purple Burn what an amazing album um but um yeah like i i think this is one of their strongest i don't necessarily think i can i can just listen to it from beginning to end but um because there's a few like spit it out like you said i think was kind of weak um what was that was the one that sounded kind of like rolling stones um hungry for love i think it's hungry for love that you're talking about yeah i mean it was it's all right it just i just remember it feeling a lot like he's really trying to appeal to the American audience. And I think maybe that's a, a hindsight view, like, because I know the situation, you know, like rather right. than listening to it, like when you listen to it, where you picked it up when it first came out, um, 
so I mean I think it's really good and I think if you're gonna listen to or you know try to get into White Snake, this time period is probably the easiest to to you know transition into and 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 really find some great material. Absolutely, and if you're interested in hearing the head-to-head debate on Slided In versus Whitesnake, it is episode 64, so check that out when you get a chance. Um, so what's your album that you're uh, picking next? So I'm going to go over another one that we've talked about before, um, and that was Clayman from In Flames. Uh, In Flames is another band that... You know, I've kind of changed my opinion on over the years, and it's mostly because they've changed styles. They've all, pretty much all the members from this this lineup are gone, except for the singer Anders, and uh, well, and Bjorn. Um, he was a guitarist on this album. Um, so they've changed their style. They've they've tried to fit into more of the. Uh, modern metal scene, and that's fine. Like they they're doing their thing, they're happy with it. That's great. But I think for me, when when they hit this album, this was the height of their maturity in the the old Gothenburg sound. Um, this this again, like this is an album that I I just I I would say it's easily to me it's a ten out of ten, and I it's kind of one that's made me think. I don't have to like every album by a band. Like I don't ha- necessarily even have to like a band per se. I can like albums. You know, if I say I'm a, if I say I'm a Van Halen fan, it's because I followed their entire career. I like 90% of what they did. F- for me in Flames, even though this is one of my favorite albums of all time, I only really truly like about 10% of their career at this point. So it's, you know, it's a tough one. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying when it comes to that because there are certain, you know, when, when a when a band goes, you know, in a different direction from where they started, it, it's one. It's hard to sit there and say, okay, I I got attracted to this band because they played this, but now they play that, and I don't know if I really like that style. So yeah. you know, you keep you you keep the one the first two three albums because they're all in that style the the original style you liked, and then after that they go sideways. You're like, okay, I don't like anything after such and such album. I get yeah, that. Yeah, like I I was a little disappointed to be honest. Um, we went to see uh, Megadeth with Lamb of God. Was that was that last year? I guess it was last year, right? Um, and yeah. And um, In Flames was supposed to be with them. They couldn't travel because of the the bands, um, and you know that's that really sucks because I think it would have been cool to see them despite not necessarily liking most of their last few albums. Um, but that being said, back to this particular album, um, you know, it starts off with some really like. It's a, a little bit different direction than what they were doing before, which I think is there. This is the logical step between their last album, Colony, and Reroute to Remain. A bullet Ride, I remember you really liked that song. Yeah, bullet, Pinball Map. Pinball Map was my favorite song on the album. Yeah. But they they slowed some stuff down with Only for the Week, As the Future Repeats Today. Um, you know, like there every song on this album from beginning to end, I can I enjoy. There's not a weak track on the album. The only reason, like I maybe 
say like worst to first it's not necessarily because this is one of the worst of the ones i picked but it's one that i don't listen to as much anymore because you can only listen to an album so many times it, it, you know consecutively or whatever before you just you've heard it you know you know the ins and outs of it and that's one of the things i know every lyric on the song this album i i i know it from beginning to end i can sing along with the the melody of every track it's one of those that it just it's it's part of me at this point because i've heard it so many times and i i just love it um it's it's the height of their maturity as as a uh a, a gothenburg melodic death metal band um this was some experimentation and it worked the instrumentation is fantastic the riffs are great there's not much i can say negative about this album I, I I agree. I mean, I, when I first heard it, you know, back when we discussed it in episode thirty six, with you know the head to head colony versus Clayman, you know, I the first thing I noticed when I listened to to, to Clayman after listening to Colony was the maturity level had, in, in my opinion, had jumped dramatically, and the production got a little bit better. So I'm like, mm-hmm. this is you know, this is definitely a band moving forward. Um, and I definitely like the songs a lot better on on Clan Man than I did than I did on Colony. So, you know, like and like I just mentioned, Pinball Map was my favorite song on the album. That you know, that being said, it's one of those things like you said, where the band eventually veers off. You could you could hear it on this album that they were already kind of making that transition. Mm-hmm. You know, they were being a little more accessible than they were on Colony. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But then it began, it, it ended up taking like a complete turn in a, in a different direction. Yeah, to, to very, very accessible. And if you're a fan of In Flames, that's great. Because, I mean, they've, they've put out a lot of albums that have really, truly evolved from this point. And I can see the path. I tried listening to to the whole catalog again recently because you know sometimes you just you you've moved on in your life, like from 2002 to now. I mean that's 20 years. So in 20 years, my tastes may have changed. So I've given a lot of new stuff. We're gonna talk about one album that I I didn't like when I was younger that now is on the list that I I listened to from from you know beginning to end. So. Um, sometimes it changes. So sometimes it's worth going back and listening to these albums, but I could see the path that they were going. I could see the, the logical steps in their career, but I got to say, when I listened to everything again, I did not enjoy it. Sometimes I, I like doing that with a band because I like seeing their evolution. And, um, this was one that I, I tried again and, and unfortunately it just didn't do it for me, but, this album in particular always does. It's just one that I'm always going to love. Hey, we, we have to love our albums, and that's for sure. Okay, so for me, my next album that I'm picking is going to be Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. So that album came out in 1987. And there's a theme here. These are all, what's it called? spoiler alert, they're all albums from the 80s for me. <laughs> So, um, Appetite for Destruction, 1987, you know, and I'm going to say it again, 11 of 12 songs are awesome to me. And 
the one song on this album that I really just, for whatever reason, have never gotten into, but I've listened to constantly when I listen to the album is My Michelle. And I know that song back in front, just like any other song in the album. I just don't enjoy it as much. I'm not going to pick that song out when I when I want to listen to songs, you know. And if I, I, I'm not going to skip it either, but I'm not going to pick it if I'm going to sit there and pick songs off the album. I'm not going to automatically pick that song. I'll probably pick the other eleven songs first. Mr. Brownstone's one of my favorite songs from GNR. So, you know, this album has a lot going for it. And and for those who may or may not know. This is the number one selling album, or excuse me, this is the number one selling debut album of all time. Uh, it beat, it blew away Boston's record from from the seventies, uh, a few years after it came out. And not only that, this is one of the best selling albums in general of all time, having sold over thirty million copies worldwide. I mean, that's incredible for a debut album, and just a regular album in general. So that's that's impressive. I. I mean, look, the songs on here, uh, Welcome to the Jungle, It's So Easy, Night Train, Out to Get Me, Mr. Brownstone, Paradise City. I mean, that's all side one. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? You know, then you got My Michelle, you've got, you know, Think About You, you've got, you know, You're Crazy, uh, you know, uh, what's it, Rocket Queen, there's this, I know there's a song I'm missing on here, but I mean, it's- Sweet Child of Mine? <laughs> oh, Sweet shit, sweet child of mine. That's that's a, that's a, that's a song between me and my wife. That you know that that's my wife's you know calling card when it comes to, to Guns N' Roses, you know. And it's it's this just, album's amazing, you know. It's just absolutely amazing. I mean, you just there's not much bad or if if anything that you can say about this album. I mean, it is so uh, eclectic in a way because you, you hear all these different. You know, songs like like Brownstone doesn't sound like, you know, Welcome to the Jungle, and it doesn't sound like You're Crazy. You know, and You're Crazy, I have three different versions of that song. I have an acoustic, a full acoustic. I have a, uh, the acoustic electric, which is the one that came out on, on uh, Lies, the EP. And then there's this one, which is a completely like a sped up song or a sped up version of it. So, you know, there's not much I can say about this. This is an awesome, awesome album. I mean, I'm in 100% agreement. I, um, this is my favorite uh, Guns N' Roses album, for sure. But it's it's also one of my favorite albums. Um, you know, from beginning to end, I like everything on it. My Michelle, you know what's funny is that is one that I didn't like as much, but I grew appreciation over time for it. And it's kind of because my, my friend's ex-wife is named Michelle. And something about the connection, they still get along. They're still... They're still good friends um so there's there's still that like positive connotation to that to the song etc but i've always uh, like everything from beginning to end, to end on this is is so great and it is an uh, eclectic album but at the same time you know because uh, you know th- these guys basically brought in their best songs you know when they when they all joined together they brought in their best songs and they put this this album together that is really representative of the five guys but what unites it is they all play together like like these were written 100 percent together you know um slash puts his stamp on every song axel 
owns these songs. You know, uh, Izzy, I mean, every, every member of the band, they, they, they were so united at this point. Like it just, it's, it's fantastic from beginning to end. And it's, it's an album that's 53 minutes, almost 54 minutes and doesn't feel that long. It goes by so fast. Yes, it does. I mean, it, it's it's twelve songs, and you know you can you all of a sudden you know Rocket Queen is finishing up, and you're like, wow, okay, that went by pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I agree with you because I mean Rocket Queen. Once it gets Rocket Queen, it doesn't really technically slow down. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. It's it's one of these albums that or track. Well, yeah, it's one of these albums that you know it has its ebbs and flows, but for the most part, it's just, it's just consistent. But like, I think, you know, it's, it's so easy. It's a Duff McKagan song, right? But you think about that solo that's on, it's so easy. And it's just, it's slash, you know, it's, it's, it's not like they brought in these songs and there's somebody else's thing and they're just filling in the shoes. Like they brought in these songs and they played them as guns and roses and nobody else. It's, it's fantastic. No, it's a great album. Great album. What what do you got next? All right, so I'm gonna go with uh, "Children of Bottom." Follow the Reaper. I believe we've we've also talked about that one on a previous head to head. But again, that's that's one of those albums that if somebody says the word or or the phrase like "What album can you listen to from beginning to end?" This is gonna be the one that comes to mind. Um, you know, this came out in 2000. I I did not stop listening to this. I To this day, I, I'll put this album in just, just to listen to it again. But I remember in my high school years, like, listening to this all the time. Uh, I, I was listening to it when I had my first car accident. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is one from beginning to end. Like, it's cohesive. This is this is the band three albums in and finding their like truly finding their groove because as much as I love Hatebreeder and we talked about that was the head to head we did Hatebreeder versus Follow the Reaper um, as much as I love that album this is really where they found their their sound their groove like wh- exactly what they were doing as a band and even though like they would evolve more and you know having a lineup change following Hate Crew Death Roll. Um, you know, affects things. They, they, there's different influences, different people writing music, different people playing the music, etc. Like that's that's always going to be a factor. Um, but uh, this was this was amazing. Like I remember putting this in and just being like mind blown at how good it was. Like Follow the Reaper, Bonum After Midnight, Children of Decadence, Every Time I Die. My favorite, tr- like I could just keep reading every track. Hate me. That that was a single that that I think if you're familiar at all with the band, you probably know that one. But my one of my favorite songs ever is on this album, "Kissing the Shadows." Uh, it's got this super long guitar and keyboard trade-off solo that's just it's it's the chef's kiss. It's it's one of my favorites I've ever heard in my life, and I was so glad that you know now that Alexi has passed away, I was so glad I had the opportunity to hear it live. Um, so yeah, from thirty eight minutes to me goes by like five. It's it's amazing, and if you haven't heard this album, 
definitely check it out. It's gonna if you're not into the death metal thing at all, it's gonna take a little bit to kind of get into it. But at the same time, like you can definitely respect how talented Alexi was as a songwriter, how talented these guys all were as as musicians, and how well they played together. And just the cohesiveness of the album from beginning to end, it works so well. It's just, it's one of the best ever for me. I, I remember the head-to-head pretty clearly when we did this, and, and I Follow the Reaper was, to me, uh, you know, a head above Hatebreeder. And I, what one of the things I said about this album is you said it, it's a better album. It was more accessible uh, and more melodic overall than, than Hatebreeder was. But it, you could just tell it was such a such a, much more I don't want to say mature because I, I think in in that regards it, I, I just think that um Alexi's songwriting capabilities and his guitar playing just rose to another level on yeah, this album I, I think mature is kind of a weird word to use for it I would agree with you there but there was there's it's it's elevated for sure like every, it, it's he took everything he learned and just took it to the next level and the production's just that much better exactly and yeah. that's what makes it so much better because they are very similar albums in a lot of ways but there's just something about this particular album that's just a cut above exactly that, that's exactly the way I would put it all right so my next album is Metallica's Master of Puppets, the 1986 release that saw Metallica begin to rise as their status, especially with their their tour with Ozzy Osbourne. They really became well-known across America to the American audiences, and that really began to set them apart, uh, besides the fact that they were just relentless in touring. Um. So here's a weird thing. I say six out of eight songs for me are awesome. And that, you know, me being a Metallica fan, you know, someone's out there listening. How can you say only six out of eight? Well, I'm going to put it this way. There are two songs on this album that I know them by heart. I know them. I know the words. I know the rhythms. I know the complexities. They're just not my favorite tracks on the album. And, you know, I'm sure this is Metallica heresy for some people, but the thing that should not be, and Leper Messiah, just if I'm going to put the the, the album and the the songs in a a certain order, those are going to be the last two. (laughs) That's just the way I feel about it. Other than that, I, I I love this album. Master of Puppets is one of my top three Metallica songs. Um, this is considered to be the greatest heavy metal album to a lot of people out there, a lot of fans, a lot of um, media. Uh, you know, just in general, it is considered to be one of the greatest albums of all time. And this was the first album to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And that tells you something about this album. This album's awesome. I mean, it's just not much else I can say about it. Most everyone out there has heard it a million times. I mean, yeah, this is one of the first Metallica albums that I remember. Um you know, beginning to end, I agree. It's to me, I actually like all eight. Um, Battery is an amazing opener. Master of Puppets is a masterpiece. 
Um, the thing that should not be. I actually really like that song, especially like in its placement in the album, because it's that little bit slower track, right? It's kind of a slog. I think it's placed perfectly in the album, you know, because yeah. it, it, essentially, you, you if if you think about how the album goes. Battery of Puppets is... I mean, Battery of Puppets. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Battery... That's a medley. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Battery is relentless, right? And Uh it's, you know, breakneck. And then Master of Puppets, even even though it's a fast song, is not as fast as Battery. And then Thing That Should Not Be, heavy and sludgy. And then you got Welcome Home. So the, the, the four songs on side one progress into, you know, where it, it slows down all the way to Welcome Home. And at the end of Welcome Home, it kind of speeds back up, right? And then you go into side two and, you know, you have Disposable Heroes and Leper Messiah. And then it really slows down for Orion. But Orion is just a, a such a masterpiece of an instrumental you know, and I appreciate that song so much more now than I did back when I was younger. I mean, when I was younger, I barely listened to that song, but now it's like I, I, I have to listen to it when I listen to this album. And then Damage Incorporated. I mean, how, how, you know, how do you leave that out at, at all? I mean, that song is just awesome. Yeah, no, it's 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 a really like solid album from beginning to end. This is this is another one of those cases where. Um, there's a maturity level, you know, where this is this is the height of Metallica's thrash maturity because they still were a thrash band at this point, even though they've brought in some other elements, they've matured things that we've talked about, like when we talked about Testament with, with our Testament episode just recently. This is still a thrash band at this point, but it's the height of the maturity of that in the same way that I was talking about In Flames with Clay Man. It's this it's the same thing to me because obviously cliff passing away after this album came out um is a factor in their change of their sound you know to the next album to the black album um i mean not the black album i'm sorry to the um to uh injustice for all then to the black album so you can see that kind of change in evolution their sound they're trying to figure out what to do without this huge influence on their their sound and um, this to me was th- like where Injustice for All kind of stands alone, even though I consider it part of that four album stretch of their thrash career. Um, it does still kind of stand alone. Those first the first album obviously has its own thing. Ride the Lightning and then and Master of Puppets kind of stand together and then Injustice for All and then the, obviously the Black Album and everything after that. Right. Um, but there's just something that's very magical about this album from beginning to end. Yeah, I can, I, I agree with that. There is definitely something special about this album uh, from beginning to end. Magic. And this is was, one of this them. one has Cliff's fingerprints all over it. Oh you yeah. Know, he has the most writing credits that he's ever had on any other albums. You know, they, they've talked about it and in, in depth over the years that he ha- he was such an influence in every aspect when he wasn't there sometimes they just felt like they didn't know what they were doing and that makes sense because that's that's their career took a very different direction after his passing so um yeah to me this is the, i totally agree beginning to end on this one 
back for to sure, front. For sure. Okay. Or front to back, whatever. Front to back, beginning <laughs> to end. Um, Listen right. to it backwards, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to end to beginning. All right. So, so what's your album or next album? Uh, so I'm going to go with one that um, it, this is a band I recently started listening to when we started doing this this uh, show, and that's uh, Merciful Fate with their first album, Melissa. I remember listening to King Diamond with some friends, and uh, one of my former co-workers was a big fan, and I just never really quite got it, you know, his falsetto of vocals like i i like the music i thought obviously the guy's very talented um but i it just wasn't for me and then uh listening to merciful fate uh, at your recommendation um i was like man i like this a lot more and i i was never actually i was never a big fan of metallica's version of the merciful fate songs i thought they were okay but it didn't it didn't just never resonated with me so this was this was one that I could have potentially just completely missed out on my whole life had it not been for that one set of circumstances, right? And so I remember listening to this and just really enjoying it. I I still listen to it a lot where, you know, from beginning to end, I can, I can really just not skip a track. There's only seven tracks on the album, but Evil, Curse of the Pharaohs, Into the Coven, At the Sound of the Demon Bell... Black Funeral, Satan's Fall, and Melissa. Melissa, I think, is probably the weakest, but it's an outro song, and, you know, it feels like an outro song because it's kind of wrapping up some of the, the, the elements of the album because they're all kind of... There's some witchcraft stuff. Into the Coven, obviously, ties into Melissa. Um, there's there's this, not you know, pun intended, I guess, evil aspect of the whole album. <laughs> And it's, it, it's very cohesive. Like, and, and what I like about it too, is that if you're not a big fan of, of the early King Diamond stuff where he's just doing falsetto all the time, um, there, he, he sings in several different octaves. He sings in different styles. He does his low growl. He does his, his falsetto, etc. So there's a lot that, you know, is in the, terms of variety here and the songs are just really well written um the riffs are really great that you can see like there's this element of you know black metal bands would kind of take from this but this is not by any means a black metal album the the riffs are very strong they're like even if you don't even listen to the lyrics you can get into the music itself um so there's i mean this is an album that if you've if you've never listened to you got to because like like I said, if it was something that I never thought that I would like because of other stuff that I heard, and then when I heard it, I the, I have I have the the record in a uh, a uh, case on or like a a frame on my wall that I can remove it and listen to it when I want to that you gave me as a gift. So like it's 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 up there. I I don't put an album on my wall for no reason. This is a really awesome album. Um, the funny thing about it is, is that I didn't get into this album until after they had come out with their second album. Um, the second album being um, Don't Break the Oath. Don't Break the Oath, yeah. I had that album first because the first song I, I, I caught on the radio 
um, a dangerous meeting. I thought that was so cool. I thought that uh, that, that song is, yeah. was a really cool song. So that happened to be the first one that I caught from Merciful Fate. And then I kind of went backwards and said, oh, let me get their, you know, I only had to go one album backwards. So I said, let me get their first album. And I have, Melissa, an early Metal Blade uh, copy of it. And it's it's funny because I really didn't get into this album right away. Uh, I actually kind of enjoyed A Dangerous Meeting more because it, I, I guess it was more... Um, I don't want to say it was more melodic because there's a shitload of melody all over this album. Um, but I don't know. There was something that attracted me more to that one song than the the rest of this. But once I really began to be the kind of person that just really dug, you know, dug into music and, and dove deep, then this album was just amazing. And I agree with you. Evil, Curse of the Pharaohs, Into the Coven. Into the Coven is, is one of my, my favorite um, Merciful Fate songs. Um, the funny thing about this album, so the song Black Funeral, um, they have a, a, another song called Black Masses, and I bought this 7-inch, and on the 7-inch, they misprinted the song Black Masses, and they put Black Funeral, and for years, I did not know which song was which. <laughs> and I, I would sit there and say, oh, you know, like I, I, I would make my own cassettes, and I'm like, I would, I would put on... Um, and later on it would be my own CDs. I would put one of these songs on them and I'm thinking, Oh, this is black masses. And then I would, I would type it up and I'm like, no, this is black funeral. Damn it. I didn't want black funeral. I want the black masses. And <laughs> it was like, you know, <laughs> what is going on? And it was because of that damn 45 that was mislabeled that I kept screwing it up. And so finally, when I got into CDs and I got all the merciful fate CDs, I was able to f- to, to correct that problem <laughs> but I this album is just outstanding and it sounds really good too uh, it, it's not uh, got it doesn't have the best production in the world but the production that it does have is very clear and that's what yeah, I it's like very about clear, it and it feels of its time but yes. not in a, not in a dated like nasty way you know like it feels very raw because it's it's a new it's you know it's the band's first album but raw and like that that kind of like it's a good way not like slayer's first album raw, <laughs> right know? and and the rawness really lends to just it being something that that you can get you know sink your teeth into and say yeah this i i like this band they're fresh they're brand new and stuff like that yeah that's what i mean by raw like not n- nasty like, right yeah you know the production sounds like garbage it's because it sounds it sounds good for what it is and it's very clean like you said you can hear every instrument and and well nothing's muddy nothing steps over each other it's all just it's really good and the other thing about this album that that's really uh distinctive is that it is definitely a european sounding album you know, mm-hmm. it, it and, and you can tell that all the future uh, melodic death metal bands took took a key from this. There's just something about European style of writing, especially from from their the area that you know the Denmark area and those Scandinavian countries where a lot of the de- melodic death metal comes from. There is a very distinct sound that they have in their songwriting, and it comes out on almost everything they do. 
You know, like I, I'm almost thinking like you tell these guys try to write a song like this and they probably can't do it because it's some somehow, some way it's going to end up sounding, you know, like this, <laughs> a, a mm-hmm. European style and nothing wrong with that at all. You know, because I, I think that's awesome because that that is a particular sound that is their own, you know, like thrash. This is a completely different thing. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So. Um, all right, so that was um, your second to last album. So I got my last album, and my last album is ACDC's Back in Black. For me, that is at near perfection as perfection can get in terms of a, of a, of a hard rock heavy metal album. Nine of the ten songs are awesome to me. You and I have had this discussion before. I am not a big fan of the song Let Me Put My Love Into You. That doesn't mean there's anything that anybody needs to take away from that song. It just doesn't. Um, it just just doesn't do it for me. And now here's the funny thing, and here's the reason. Uh, this might be the reason why. When I first got this album, I put it on. The first thing I put on was Back in Black. I put on Side B first because who the hell puts the title track on 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 the the first song on the second side? Okay, that title track is supposed to be the first song, right? <laughs> or so you think, right? So as a kid, I don't know. I'm just looking. I'm like, I'm all excited to have this back in black. I put on back in black first. So for years, and I'm talking about years, I always thought that back in black was the first song on the album. And let me put my love into you was the last song on the album. And that might be why that song doesn't resonate that much with me because it was like by that time I was already like ACDC'd out, <laughs> you know, I'm nine songs in and I'm like, that's okay. interesting. <laughs> that, wow. So, and so instead of rock and roll, ain't noise pollution being the last song on the album for me, it, it and it was weird because like rock and roll, no, ain't noise pollution. So you, it's just slow kind of not slow, but it's like a very methodically paced song. It ends and then it goes into hell's bells. You know, when I flip it over and Hell's Bells, you know, there's this there's this pace that picks up with with side two, you know, and you got Hell's Bells shoot the thrill. What do you do for money, honey? Giving the dog a bone, and then you get to you slow it down. To me, that was the end of the album, and I that, that's really the reason why. It's funny, <laughs> you know. It's it, it's the opposite, obviously, for me because like Hell's Bells, shoot the thrill. What do you do for money, honey? Giving the dog a bone. Let me put my love into you. I think those are all great songs. Like, f- you know, you've got the whole first side that's just fantastic, and then it goes into Back in Black, and you shook me all. You shook me all night long. You shook me all night long. Is is one of their their best i almost feel like it's it's like the penultimate song on the album and in some capacity and then you go to have a drink on me which i think is one of the weaker songs shake a leg they're they're all right like there's there's nothing wrong with them but they could easily like those lyrics can easily fit on like the next few albums they're just they're they're all right songs like they're better than some of the stuff that would appear on the next few albums but but like you know they're all right and then rock and roll ain't noise pollution to me is like I'm gonna go take a nap, so, um, we you know it's the opposite for me where it, like you got you got ACDC'd out in the opposite way 
So maybe that's what it is. Maybe yeah, that's why you don't like and, that and, song. I mean, it's funny because you know you get it, and you know by this time CDs exist, and and you're you're getting the, the track listing the way it's supposed to be, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, if you if you look at the back of the album, okay, that's the other thing. The songs are not listed in the correct order; they're just random. So oh that, really? Yeah. So that's the other thing about it that you know you you they're they're not listed in their regular order. Okay, so this is the track listing when you when you get the album and you look at the back cover. Back in Black is the first song. Hell's Bells is the second song. Shoot the Thrill, Giving the Dog a Bone. What do you do for money, honey? Rock and roll ain't noise pollution. Let me put my love into you. You shook me all night long. Shake a leg and have a drink on me. I mean, actually, it's all ass backwards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that's the other thing. So when you see that, you say, okay, Back in Black is the first song. So when you open the record, you you slide it out and back in black hey you just put on the one that says back in black <laughs> you know makes sense to me <laughs> so you know i was what i was all of 13 when i put this album on for the first time so that's why but all right let's put it this way back in black okay my favorite acdc song is on this album shoot the thrill the audio quality is just superior to most every album out there it's one of the best sounding albums ever made. And again, number one selling hard rock heavy metal album of all time with over 50 million copies sold worldwide. And it is the number two best selling album of all time. So it, it, fl- it flip flops back and forth between that and the Eagles greatest hits because Michael Jackson has run away with the number one spot. But yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's how amazing this album is. So yeah, it, I mean... Like I'm gonna agree, it's it's one of the best albums of all time. But if you want more opinion on that, definitely check out our uh, ACDC Worst First episode, where we go into depth on all of ACDC's albums. Yeah, so that uh, ACDC Worst First episode wasn't that long ago. It was episode 82. Um, it was actually, I think, the first episode of the new year or the last episode of last year. One of those two. I think the old it, I, year. It came out on December 31st, so that's the reason why it, it blends both years. <laughs> so, but yeah, take that out and listen to it. You know, we've uh, we definitely discussed a lot about Back in Black. All right, so what's your final album of the night? So, I remember buying this album and uh, I listened to it one time and I put it away and I didn't listen to it probably for an entire year. And the reason being was I was just getting like really into this band. I had listened to them before, but like I I just was super getting into this band and I was enjoying every album so much that I was spending a lot of time listening to it. So when I get listen to this, I still was like in the mindset of going back and listening to the other albums because they were so good. So my pick is Judas Priest's Painkiller. And so keep in mind when I say I went back and listened to the other albums first. Yeah, you have Screaming for Vengeance, Defenders of the Faith, and, you know, everything that came before it. British Steel, yeah, Killing Machine, or what was the Hellbent for Leather was the U.S. edition. Um, I mean, there's so many good albums before it. So I had, I had picked up their whole catalog as I could find them because this was back when, you know, streaming was not really a thing. 
not it wasn't a thing at all. iTunes was in its infancy, and uh, most of the stuff that you could find was going to be in the in a Best Buy or if you were lucky, still record stores that still exist. So, I'm finding what I can, and at this point, I'm still listening to Screaming for Vengeance all the time. And I listened to Painkiller once, and I just wasn't in the mindset to listen to something new yet, because it was just, pain, uh, Screaming for Vengeance was still on my mind. So, like, a year goes by, I'm, I've, I finally get to the point where I'm like, let me put this back in. I listened to it, it may not have been a full year, but, you know, whatever, it's it's hard to remember what happened that long ago, but, but I, I listen to painkiller and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why, why, <laughs> why have I not been listening to this? Um, this was one of those albums that it, it transcended the, just the music to me in a lot of ways, because Rob Halford at this point, he's writing these, like he's always had these kind of, metal messiahs and characters in music and concepts like monsters and these kind of things. Right. And some of it's a little bit of double entendre that he knows the meaning behind some of it's just, he is envision, you know, envisioning this epic savior of, of metal, you know, and in the painkiller, etc. Right. So, so, there was something about this imagery in the music that just spoke to me at the time. You know, you have the, the Hell Patrol, Painkiller, the Nightcrawler, or just Nightcrawler, but like the concept of these characters that even though this is not in any way or shape or form a concept album, everything blends together in this way that it all it, it blends together is not the right word. It is cohesive in the right way that you could even like, I, I saw a story in my mind listening to this album. You know, I, I see the painkiller going through these adventures listening to this album. And, and I think that's, that's one thing that's so special about music is how it, it hits you as the listener. And so I, when I was a young, younger man, I did fan art I did a, a drawing of the the painkiller um, that I had po- posted online and got you know, pretty positive reviews to and stuff like that. Like I still have it somewhere. I'd have to find all my stuff, but um, you know, like I I was really into this. I saw this like movie concept almost in my mind with this 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 album. So it wasn't just that every song to me is so great because. There's not an, a, an, a song on this album that I want to ever any inclination to skip. Um, but there was so much more to it. Like, you know, in the days of, of reading heavy metal and stuff like that, like metal albums had that kind of vibe to me where I could picture these adventures and those kind of things. And I saw this in my mind as like a heavy metal style movie. Interesting. I can see that because I've had that same exact kind of... Uh, concept, I guess you say, in my mind with certain things that I listen to and, and, and you you basically make this story in your mind about the songs and especially if, especially if the songs blend together well, then you have this continuing story, you know, they arc from song to song to song. And I, I, so I completely understand where you're coming from with that. Um, this album for me, what 
I, I enjoy it more now than I did back in the day. And the reason being is because I give it more of a chance now. What happened back then is it came out in September of 1990. And if I'm not mistaken, I shortly after this album came out, I started working at the record store um, and in, in Miami. And I ended up being in school full time, going to work at night, you know, and then every other day going, you know, doing school at night and maybe sometimes school in the daytime. I had like a, a this upside down kind of schedule. Like I think it was like Monday, Wednesday, I had day school and then Tuesday, Thursday, I had night school. And so then I was working the opposite schedule and working till midnight every night. So I just didn't have a lot of time to listen to stuff myself. I mean, I heard a shitload of stuff while I was at work, but it wasn't all metal. That's for sure. So this kind of got lost in the whole thing between that and and Iron Maiden coming out with uh, No Prayer for the Dying. I was like, Ugh. so you know, this was a return to form for Judas Priest because they had just those two weak albums that had come out before that. Um, I never really gave this a full blown chance. Painkiller to me was just amazing song, blew my mind, and uh, you know, All Guns Blazing blew my mind. You know, those, you know, Hell Patrol was great. And after that, I just kind of like it, it you know, all the, it just kind of began to run together for me. Um, then again, as I mentioned in previous episodes, I usually get about three or four songs in and then I have to, you know, my journey ends to from point A to point B. So I don't really get to listen to the whole thing in one shot. Uh, but eventually, Which you know. Which is something you've changed in yeah, the last few years. Because my ride's longer. <laughs> <laughs> um but no between the hammer and the anvil's great song uh touch of evil is just an amazing song uh i love that song you know so there's a lot of stuff on here that i like you know but i at the, back in the day i didn't give it enough of a chance to sit there and say yeah i'm gonna turn this into one of my favorite judas priest albums it just it, it just got lost especially then with rob halford quitting you know shortly thereafter um it was one of those things where like well shit that didn't go well because I, I thought the album was great. Why is he quitting now? You know, something's wrong. So I, I love this album. I mean, it's, it's a great album. It's not my favorite priest album. Um, it's probably number two or three, I think, but you know, vengeance is my favorite priest album just because that was the one that I first got attracted to priest with. So it, it always has that special place, but this is definitely up there because, you know, it is definitely, like I said, a return to form ram it down. That album, and especially that that the the title track itself, I had so much hope for. And then when they hit the bridge and they went to that kind of like poppy bridge, I'm like, oh, you just ruined the song. Come on. It was because <laughs> it was Rim It Down has its moments. Like Blood Red Skies is a pretty cool song. Um I think that's it. Um <laughs> But you know, I like the song oh, yeah. "Ram It Down." I thought it was good. Yeah, but, it's it's not a bad song. But when they hit that bridge, it's like, oh, you, now you turned it into like a pop metal song, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want this. So, but I I really do enjoy this album. I think it it, it was it was well done. It was it's kind of weird. The production by Chris Sangaridis and and Judas Priest. There's something about this song where it's not necessarily like very clear like it's a very to me it's semi overproduced but uh, it still sounds good like the the the, the snare drum on there's this a, album there's just... a distinct 
distortion to it. Yes. That's, that's a synonymous with this album. And they kind of replicated it with uh, uh, Angel of Retribution when the, that album came out. And like I think you, Angel sounds like Pink, better. It it does sound a little better as a whole, but I just, I love Painkiller so much. It's I, I have a hard time saying anything bad oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, no. I, I, like I said, I agree. <laughs> it, it definitely has a distinct production that is all mm. its own. You know, it definitely stands out by itself. So it's a great album. Um, that is our 10 uh, front-to-back albums that we would consider you guys should give a chance to listen to. I'm pretty sure you agree with most of, of the albums here being great from from beginning to end. So we have other episodes like this that we'll definitely come to in the future because there are a bunch of albums that we think we can listen to beginning to end, front to back. So... Um, give this one, you know, give these albums a shot. I'm pretty sure most of you guys know what, you know, Back in Black and Master of Puppets and Appetite for Destruction are. Uh, you know, Judas Priest and In Flames, Children of Bottom, Arch Enemy, Merciful Fate, White Snake and Twisted Sister. They're, they're common names, but I don't think everyone really thinks of all their albums in that regard. So, but these ones that we talked about tonight are stellar albums from each of those bands. All right. That brings us to our big four for tonight. And our big four for tonight is live albums. And it's funny. It's a concept that we've talked about a bunch of times, but we never really did a big four on. So tonight. We did our big four Iron Maiden live albums. Yes. Because they have done... like 27 live albums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight we got live albums here. Um, I'm going to go first since you started off tonight's show. Or did I start off tonight's show? You started off, but right. go ahead and go first because it just yeah. in line. All right. <laughs> the hell with it. I'll go first. <laughs> All right. So my number four, big live, big four live album, Ozzy Osbourne's Speak of the Devil. This is the album that wasn't supposed to be, right? And so, you know. It's the thing that should not be. Correct. <laughs> um, it, I mean, really, realistically, this was done at the last minute because Ozzy put his foot down and said that I'm not going to name an album with Randy Rhodes on it, speaking of the devil. So they said, fine, well, you got to do something. So the band went out there and they put they booked two nights at the Ritz in New York and they recorded all Black Sabbath songs. And yes, the the production on this to me is super solid. I'm pretty sure uh, a huge amount of it is, is uh, studio work after the fact. Um, but it is one of the best sounding live albums I've ever heard. I love it. You can hear Rudy Sarzo's bass clear as day. You can hear the drums are fantastically recorded. Uh, I mean, it for the most part, it's almost like a studio album with, but with an audience. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with studio trickery, but, I love this album. Um, number three for me uh, is the first album that I ever had that was a hard rock album or heavy metal, whichever one you want to category you want to put it in. Kiss Alive 2. And again, there's another one of these studio trickery uh, albums where there was a lot of stuff done post-production. But the bottom line is, this is a live album by Kiss. It is awesome. I... This is how I fell in love with Kiss on this album. So there you have that. Number two, Iron Maiden, Live After Death. Now we're getting to the nitty gritty here. Iron Maiden being one of my favorite bands, Live After Death is just a culmination of of 
the, the power slave tour or what it called the, the world slavery tour that they went, they embarked on in 84 and 85. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, this, this highlights the, the, where Iron Maiden was at the time. And at that time they were the pinnacle of heavy metal bands in 1984, 1985. So, this album is awesome, and the presentation, this double live album. I mean, the picture. It, they they basically took the idea that Kiss had put on behind Kiss Alive Two, with you know showing the the, the bombs blowing off and and all that uh, on the Kiss Alive Two uh, gatefold. They, Iron Maiden did their own gatefold, and they took the shot right when there was the explosion during, if I'm not mistaken, it was during the song Iron Maiden, and it is. You know, it's a beautiful picture. I mean, you know, flash pots going off, fire, Iron Maiden jumping. You know, all the guys, the band on on there performing it was great. I loved the, the the whole presentation of Live After Death is awesome. And finally, my number one live album is Metallica's Live Shit Binge and Purge. That is literally Metallica coming out and saying, "Here, this is all the shit we had in our closet, and you get to get." Uh, you get to have it and listen to it. They gave you two uh, two videos, and they gave you a CD or a triple CD, no less, of a different concert. So you gave you got three different concerts in here. You got the Seattle 1989. You've got San Diego 1982, and you got Mexico City 19. Uh, excuse me, not 82. You got um, San Diego 1992 during the Black Album tour, and then you have the end of the Black Album tour, Nowhere Left to Roam. They did, I think, three or five nights in Mexico City, and they uh, they recorded that, and that's what's on the CD. And the CD is just, like, awesome. I mean, it's one of the best, another really one of the best-sounding live albums out there. Of course, I'm pretty sure there's some studio trickery behind it, but at that point, it's, you could tell it's definitely live, so I'm sure some of the sound was enhanced in the studio, but it was definitely a, a very well-recorded live album. Does my my big four live albums for tonight? That's a good list. Um, I I kind of even didn't even think of a couple you had on there, but uh, um, I'm gonna go with my number four as Unleashed in the East. Um, so I kind of was much more of a fan of everything that Judas Priest had from British Steel on. Unleashed in the East took a lot of the production I didn't like on the earlier albums, instrumentation I didn't like on the earlier albums, kind of their more bluesy sound, and took it up a level and brought it into the modern era and made me really appreciate some of those songs to the point that it bridged the gap and allowed me to go back to those older albums and really enjoy them for what they were. So it's it was one that I really enjoyed and... Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, there's studio trickery on this one as well. But it still gives the Judas Priest uh, presentation of a live album at that time, and I really enjoy it. Um, My number three is one that um, I think was, I want to say was the first Rainbow album I owned. It may have been the second one, but on stage from Rainbow. It's a short one. But what I love about it is it feels real. And it is real. It's it's one of those that it's the band playing and it's truly the band. It's not anything, 
you know, super highly produced afterwards, it feels like, you know, it's it's a live album as it should be. And what I, what I really love is you can hear everything. It's not the best production that's ever existed, but that's kind of indicative of live albums, at least like truly live albums. And, um, you know, it's it represents probably part of the best time in that band's career. So these are a little bit better versions of some of the stuff that was on the first album, to be honest. The, the Man on the Silver Mountain is one of the best recorded versions of that song. I really like, you know, the Dio stuff that came later versions of, of that song, but um, I much prefer this to the first album, um, but it's I think it's great. Um, my number two is your number two, Live After Death. Uh, Iron Maiden, it, you know, in some capacities, this is this is my number one in, in, in certain ways, but... You know the production sounds amazing. The the it's it's truly indicative of an Iron Maiden live show. Like having seen them live, this I think is the best representation of them, and it's it's fantastic. Um, but my number one I picked because of the way that I perceive this as a live album. So my number one is Tokyo War Hearts from Children of Bottom, and it's it's released after their second album so it only has material from something wild and hate breeder so there's not a lot of variety there you know it's pretty early on in their career but what it, it is amazing for is how intimate it feels you know it's it's in a um it's in tokyo obviously and they are you know in front of a, a different type of audience the japanese audience that is you know, pretty respectful and chance in a certain way. And they're just having so much fun. The, the solo trade-off, like they do a couple, um, uh, think like just interludes where they're just playing, you know, kind of jamming in between stuff. Uh, but Alexi and Yana do, Yana's the, the keyboardist, they do a, a solo trade-off back and forth, kind of like, like a, I think it's called war of the razors where they they play back and forth like trying to one-up each other and then at the very end alexander their their rhythm guitarist at the time comes in playing uh loudness and the crowd goes nuts because you know they're a japanese metal band and it, it's it was just like the perfect moment at the end of that was he playing so, crazy nights yes the riff from crazy nights that's awesome but th that's what trumped all these crazy intricate solos was him coming in with with the riff from, from Crazy Nights and the crowd goes wild. So it's it's such a, a different experience because it's not this overblown production. It feels like you're there. It feels intimate. The production is is really good. They make a few mistakes while playing, and that's what also makes it feel real. Like they didn't go in in post production and change it. They left it, and they're not bad. Like it's not like they just whiffed it, but you know, like you can hear a note is a little off, and that's fine. You know, that's that's real. That's reality, and I just love this live album. So if you haven't heard it, definitely check that one out. Yeah, I gotta check that one out myself. I have not heard that one, but I like your list. That is for sure. Um, the, the funny thing with the Judas Priest live albums, uh, you know, they have. 
Now they have more than they did before, obviously. Uh, at the time, you know, between mm-hmm. Unleashed and, and Priest Live, that was it for the longest time. And then yeah. in the last few years, they've released, you know, Battle Hymns, and then they released, um, what was it, the, the, the Epitaph Tour, you know. The, the, the issue is now, because no one's making money on music anymore, you know, um, is that you get certain bands that will put out, you know, an album, then they put on a live album, they put on an album, they put a live album. And Iron Maiden is, is famous for that now. It's like, it's, it's, uh, album, tour, live album, album, tour, live album, you know, and, and it's, it is, that's the way of the world. I wish Queensryche would do that. They haven't released a live album with Todd Latore, and I would love it if they did because, I mean, just the, the set list is so different than what they used to do. I would love to see, to hear a live album from them. So I'm surprised they haven't put one out, you know. So. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that is our big four live albums, and I cannot believe we hadn't done that one yet. Uh, and that's the end of this episode. So as a reminder, once again, if you like what you heard and you want to hear some more, check us out wherever you listen to your podcast. Click subscribe, and we'll be there for you every week. That's right. And don't forget to leave us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you catch us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or if you want to just send us an email, send it to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you use Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist from all our Greatest Hits episodes. And remember to tune into the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.